Hello, listeners. Matt here. Hey, are you Pottern Family? Go on Twitter and search the hashtag Pottern Family or follow at Pottern Family to find a bevy of great podcasts, including this one. That's hashtag Pottern Family or at Pottern Family on Twitter. By the way, spoiler alert, this podcast will be talking about the most recent episode of the show that it covers. So if you're not caught up, come back when you are if you don't want to be spoiled. Don't worry, we'll be here waiting. Dedicated to the DC Arrowverse on the CW Network. It saved this city. A Flash and Arrow podcast. And now here's your host, Matt Murdock. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Save This City Podcast. It's episode 33 of the podcast. My name is Matt Murdock. I am from savethiscitypodcast.wordpress.com. At your one-stop shop for all things this podcast, like the back episodes, the social media and contact links, and the podcatcher links. And if you could take time to leave me a review on whatever podcast app that you use, it would be very much appreciated. I'm trying to get back into the game here. I've been away because I've been on the road touring, and there's a lot that's been happening on all of our favorite shows that we need to catch up on naturally. Um... I'm going to try and just wrap up with my simple thoughts about all four of the shows, Supergirl, uh, Legends of Tomorrow, Flash, and Arrow, uh, right before we get to the crossovers. And then we're going to have Donald and Camille join me to talk about the crossovers once they happen and any thoughts they have about the season in general up to that point as well. For the five of you who may still be subscribed, I thank you for doing so. If you do have any thoughts that you want to share with me, feel free to send an email to savethiscitypodcast at gmail.com or you can tweet at savethiscitypod or you can leave a voicemail, 314-669-1840. Just be sure to say which podcast you're leaving it for because I use that single line for a whole bunch of podcasts. That's enough about the podcast. Let's get into talking about Supergirl. Supergirl. And it is awesome to finally have a fully realized Superman, isn't it, on the show? Um, Maybe he's not what you were expecting. Maybe he is what you were expecting, but I really like that. I feel like the the writing portrays a slightly different kind of Superman than what we've seen or been used to as of late, like in the movies or maybe in the comics. Um, But I do really like what this actor is doing with it. Uh, His name is Tyler Hecklin. He also does a great job of making Clark very different from Cal-El, I think, when you see him change out of the suit and then he's on the phone with Perry White. I I think that you see a remarkable, uh, you know, difference in the two characters, the way that Superman would have to be. Kind of reminds me of the old Superman movies where there was such a distinct difference as opposed to the television show where there wasn't as much of a distinct difference between Clark and Superman. Um, And that maybe is what they're doing with Kara. They're making Kara um, more like the Clark Kent slash Superman of the old television series where there wasn't near as much distinguishability as opposed to, you know, the, the movies 
uh, the first movies where um, there was such a drastic nerdy difference between Clark and Superman. And I feel like that uh, Tyler Hecklin is doing a pretty good job of uh, carrying on that tradition. Now, as far as the Superman costume, I, I don't really care. Uh, I know that that's an iconic thing for a lot of folks, but uh, I, you know, just look like Superman to me. Uh, as as for it, it's kind of realistic to see Superman go back to Metropolis, of course, because uh, that's where he belongs. But I was sad to see Superman go after only two eps, and I hope that he's going to be back. And there were some cool guest stars, of course. Uh, I watched. Wonder Woman on TV as a kid, and I, I love that they have Linda Carter on as a guest to play the president. Hopefully that won't be the last time we see her, or the only time we see her, but I thought it was good. And I really liked the, the joke about the other jet. I thought that was a great Wonder Woman reference, so I really loved that. I was really extremely sad to see, of course, Cat Grant go, because she's one of the characters that actually kept me watching the first season uh, in the first place, and Callista Flockhart um, has just made an absolutely fantastic character out of her. And I knew that she wasn't going to be a regular on the show when the show switched networks and where they were going to film it. Um, that seemed pretty obvious because maybe Callista will come to L.A., but she's not going to come to Vancouver. And I was prepared for that. Uh, but the way that they sent her out with some fantastic girl-to-girl talks with Kara... Um, just it made me realize how much I'm going to miss her this season. And hopefully she'll be back for a guest appearance here or there. But uh, I'm really going to miss her. But of course, we don't have Jenna Dewan either. So uh, I guess Lucy Lane is just off doing her thing. But all of the old characters being gone, of course, that's left some room for some new ones. So let's kind of get into those, like Snapper Carr. Um, we haven't seen a whole lot out of him other than just being a, a grumpy editor in a way, you know, uh, a reporter foil for Kara and a little bit of comic relief and uh, kind of a foil for James. Uh, but I do like his grumpiness and, and his reporter talks. I, I like that. He's uh, he actually really is upholding the principles of journalism, which <laughs> so many online magazines are not these days. Uh, that's enough personal commentary. Uh, Lena Luther. I guess Lena is kind of replacing Maxwell Lord in some way. Um, someone who is wanting to do what they think is good and they're brilliant with tech, but I, you're just really not sure if you can trust them yet. It, it's also really hard for me to trust Lena, probably just because it's Katie McGrath playing her. And she did such a fantastic job as that evil Morgana in the BBC Merlin series that that's what I see when I see her. Unfortunately, I've kind of typecast her. So I'm instantly thinking of Lena as a, a complete villain. And I'm not so sure that she isn't a little dark, that she won't, you know, if she thinks she's right, she won't do the... Um, something a little drastic in order to prove that. Um, but with her mom, Lillian, being the whole head of Cadmus, that connection, I, I suppose we're all wondering if Lena knows anything about that. And um, that may point more of the direction of which way Lena is going to lean. Uh, if she's going to be kind of like this conflicted good guy or a deceiving bad guy in the long run. Uh, speaking of Lillian, I mean, Brenda Strong, she's been fantastic as the baddie because she's just so cool-headed and even and everything. She doesn't seem to get upset, um, even if her delusional mind is, you know, thinking that, you know, 
what happened to Lex is all on Superman. I mean, she totally believes that. And that's kind of the classic no villain thinks they're doing wrong kind of trope. But it's really playing out well. And I do want to say that there are lots of questions about Jeremiah as far as him being at Cadmus. And yes, he helped Kara and Mon escape. But how did he get away in order to do so? Or why hasn't he been altered, as Kara seems to think? Um, why did he refuse the chance to escape? I'm actually kind of a little worried that he's working for Cadmus now. Um, just throwing that out there in case anybody else has been thinking that too. Or if you haven't, uh, feel free to contact me with uh, some feedback and tell me I'm crazy. That's fine too. As far as uh, the Daxon friend, Mon, I, I guess he adds a little bit of unpredictability to the show, which I like. I'm worried now, though, that they've, they've set up yet another kind of love interest for Kara. I mean, yeah, she's Supergirl. Everybody should want her. But think about the fact that in the last episode, you had three guys in her place, and all of them have pined over her. James, Wynn, and now it seems like Mon is going to, and they're sitting there talking about her. Um, as far as Mon himself goes, though, I, I guess... Uh, his past was kind of neat. It was nice seeing the flashback and how the prince sent him off uh, so that he could be with his people as everything was coming to an end. Uh, and we'll have to see pretty much in the show how Mon's character continues to develop. But uh, I'm for now, I'm, I'm kind of liking him. I think he's doing an adequate job of keeping me entertained anyway. And there's this other new character the police detective, Maggie Sawyer, and I really love this chick. I mean, she's tough and she's quit quitted and she talks straight about any kind of issue. Um, I do feel like that she did lead Alex on a little bit, but we'll get to that in, in just a second. Uh, as far as our main characters go, let's talk about John Jones. Um, this whole wait, there's another Martian around thing. I mean, that seemed really convenient for me initially just to have a love interest for John Jones. But now that we know that she's actually a white Martian, um, that kind of made it all pay off as okay in my mind because he is still the last green Martian. Uh, for now, he seems to be changing already. There's been several good eps for David Harwood this season, and he's done really good. Um, it's still hard for me to remember sometimes that, that Harewood is from the UK um, because you never really hear a trace of that accent in any of his performances. Um, and like I said, we've seen the transformation start to begin to take place. Uh, will that continue? I mean, can he have like a conscience as a white same way that uh, Magan seems to have one? Um, I'm going to be interested to see if they use some kind of alien science to get out of this somehow or if he'll just end up having to become a white Martian and the, the last green Martian will be gone. And as for Wynn and James, the, I mean, other than the love interest, there hasn't really been anything for them to do in the show uh, during season one and up until this Guardian storyline, which kind of came out in the last couple of episodes. Um, you can't just have main characters, you know, getting telemetry like Wynn has been doing or, or just sitting in an office like James has been doing. If you're going to have those characters, then you got to give them something to do, right? And I have liked a lot of Wynn's humor this year. So getting them involved in the cry, crime fighting thing, that's kind of a nice, fun sidestep. 
I'm not exactly sure how Kara is going to react when she finds out that it's them, because that's going to happen. Now Alex knows. I mean, negatively, sure, she's going to react negatively. She's going to try and talk him out of doing it. But I wonder what extent the negative will go uh, towards them or the fact that Alex does know the secret. I mean, will they will she be mad at Alex for not telling her sooner? We're going to have to see about that. And speaking of Alex, I mean, wow. Alex, even last year, was one of the main reasons that I stuck with the show. And this year, the first few episodes, I was so disappointed because it just seemed like she had just one-liners or exposition or just little just stuff that didn't have any kind of meaning at all. Um, but these last few episodes with her exploring her sexuality have been absolutely amazing. And again, uh, you got to give credit to Shiloh Lee, her acting through all of this from the fear about coming out to the pain of, of rejection to being mad about it all. I mean, she's done an amazing job. And that scene where Kara came to her apartment and they talked about Maggie, to me, that was one of the best sister-sister scenes that the show has actually ever done. And they've done a ton of good sister-sister scenes, but this one just really was fantastic to me. Um, they found a place for Alex as a story element now and not just the exposition deliverer. So I'm, I'm looking forward to much more of, of that. And as for Cara herself, uh, I'm, I'm going to give a little bit of a shout out to Melissa Benoist because she seems like she's finally really comfortable in the role. And she's realizing the potential that the showrunners probably saw when they were casting her. Um, much of last year, though, I felt like she went too far in one direction or another in terms of the differences between Supergirl and Kara or overreacting with emotion. But I think she's finally kind of honed it in and found the blend. And when Heckland does a transformation to from Superman to Clark, you know, it's tropically drastic, just like uh, in the movie. But with Supergirl, like I mentioned before, um, there's this times when you ask, how could people not tell? But I, I went back and I looked at a, a couple episodes of the old television show of Superman. And that was pretty much the same too. I was sitting there going, how can nobody tell that Clark isn't Superman? Um, so I'm okay with that now. Um, rather than kind of the extremes that, that I think Benoist has been going through, um, she's really reeled it into, to where he, you might ask why nobody can tell. I think that's the purpose of it. I think it's kind of a tribute to the old television show and her sister, sister stuff, her side of the sister, sister stuff uh, with Kara uh, and Alex. Um, she's had to carry a lot more of the emotional burden because she's the one listening and reacting rather than the one spouting out more, which was where I think a lot of the overacting came out of. Um, but now that she's on this other side of it and listening to Alex, um, she's really honed it in and you really feel the power of that. And I love it. She's done a great job with the supportive, uh, as opposed to the needing support side. And as for the character, uh, the whole mentoring Mon thing, uh, becoming a reporter, the Luther friendship dynamic, saving the world. Of course. I mean, Supergirl has got a lot on her plate. And then of course you have Kara losing cat. Um, and that was some great scenes as well. It's been a great string of emotion and action for the show lead, and I, I'm really liking it. Now, it's probably the least favorite show of the four right now for me, um, but I do feel like that it's going in a great direction. So if there's any of you out there hating on it, 
I have to say, you're not giving it a chance. You're you're making it underrated. Underrated. And with that, we'll go on to uh, talking about The Flash. The Flash. And it's hard for me to even be able to tell where to begin on this because the whole purpose of Flashpoint storyline is to make you question everything in this current universe, right? <laughs> I, I will say this, um, and, and this is simply to pat myself on the back and probably the millions of you out there who suspected that Julian was alchemy. Uh, we're patting ourselves on the back because we finally got a confirmation of that before uh, the crossover is coming here. Um, that may be the first guess of anything about the show that I've ever gotten right, to be perfectly honest. Um, as for the Savator thing, which I guess is now going to be the big bad for at least the first half of the season. Um, now, that was the twist that I didn't expect. Um, but the main thing about this whole season is that really none of it needed to happen at all. Barry is actually the real villain of this season uh, for all that he kind of set askew when creating Flashpoint. That includes Cisco regarding Dante, that that regards Caitlin becoming Killer Frost, uh, Wally now having superpowers. And let's not forget that by creating this third timeline, we also have, in another show, Eobod Tharn, and uh, he's wreaking havoc over on the Legends show uh, with Damien Dark. So it wasn't until this last episode, really, that Barry started getting called out on what he did. And I really feel like it's about time, because he did cause all of this, and he's going to have to work as hard as he can to fix it. Uh, I love the tagline that CW has been putting on for the show right now when you see it in commercials and stuff. Break the past, repair the present. Not repair the past. Can't do that. We've learned that that should not ever be done. Repair the present. That's exactly what's going on here. But there's nobody to blame but Barry himself. And, And now when he went back in time at the end of season two, I mean, I was shocked when he did that. Um, but I love the ties to the Flashpoint comic storyline. Um, the show, though, ha- however, has made it even kind of quirkier by exploring this third timeline dynamic. And I really like that. And I guess last year, if you remember, I was a big Chantel Van Satin fan. I loved that Barry dynamic there. Um, I have to say that I really love the Barry and Iris stuff this season. I don't know why, but I, I've really enjoyed it. I think that their scenes together have been great. And it's developing into the kind of love story that you want them both to have. The question is, is of course, because this timeline needs some repairing, will it last? And I'm really glad that they've finally given Daniel Panabaker something to do with this season. The, the Caitlin Killer Frost thing has been great. And they really expanded her character with with the the whole mom dynamic. Um, She's been on the sidelines with so many stupid love interest stories or expositional stuff. Uh, And then the the last year's Killer Frost stuff, that was fantastic, but I didn't think we were ever going to see it again. But the only question is, now will she have to walk around with restraints on all the time? I mean, that would suck. Um, I'm sure that they'll find some kind of comic book science answer way to cure her or at least temporarily um but it would be nice if they could use that element from time to time of killer frost once they get there uh, sometime in the future as far as joe goes i never did really understand this whole dynamic of iris and joe not getting along um it doesn't seem like either of them would be that way and then all of a sudden everything seems okay now um 
I have liked the Wally and Joe dynamic a lot better this season than it was last year. Um, even though it seems like Wally's never really going to be completely over the Barry Joe dynamic, at least we see now Wally has some powers and now he can trust in Barry more. Maybe he'll, he'll kind of warm up to Barry a little more since Barry has to kind of mentor him through, uh, getting through these new powers. Um, I can, I can understand Wally being a little jealous of Barry. Um, but now that he does have powers, hopefully they can, uh, they can work together a lot better. As far as Cisco goes, man, this actor has really turned up his game this year. I love Cisco more than ever, uh, and I really, really feel for him in regards to Dante. And I love the fact that Cisco is still trying to figure out whether he can handle being around Barry or not because of this. Um, I love that that dumps a lot of the blame on Barry. Um, then you have Cisco also having to deal with all of these multiple Wells characters. He's really honing in his meta power as well and he stood up to Barry and just called him out on the Flashpoint universe like I mentioned and I, I love that as far as the Wellses go that uh, Cisco has had to deal with I mean come on Tom Cavanaugh what an amazing job he has done with each of these versions of Wells I mean think of how many different versions of Wells he's had to do in just three seasons I think my favorite is still probably the Earth 2 one um, that we saw at the beginning of this season with Jesse uh, because he's just so blatant and mean and yet still cares so much about Jesse. Um, those episodes with the two of them to me were fantastic and I'm, I was glad to see Jesse manifest her powers. Now she's Jesse Quick. Um, and, and the way that Wells finally came to support his daughter through it rather than trying to hinder her. But I also do have to say that this new Wells, the HR from Earth whatever, this dude is hilarious. Kavanaugh is just so brilliant. Um, and, and this HR guy is brilliant in his own way, too. I mean, yeah, he doesn't have the science to back up his ideas, but he's the idea, man. All of this works, really, though, of course, on, on the bottom line, because Kavanaugh makes it work. And I think these kind of new roles within the same role is probably one way that they're keeping him to sign up every year because he gets a new challenge every year. I think that Tom Cavanaugh would probably get bored playing just a single version of Wells. Um, so I really like the fact that they've uh, they've given him an expansion. Um, now, uh, how we'll get out of this one, I don't know. How we'll see another. At least we still have Earth 2 Wells too, so we can at least go back and forth between those two. And then there's, of course, Barry. And as I mentioned before, all of this is his fault. Come on, people. And it, it took a little while for for the characters to start calling him out for it, which was a little bit irksome to me. Um, but now that they have, I love the potential future dynamics. Um, and let's just go back to the, the first Flashpoint episode anyway. The first episode was just amazing it was so emotional and uh, Grant just really did an amazing job in it and the fact that Barry's whole arc this season has surpassed the Flash arc in many ways because you have the Julian dynamic you have the dealing with Thawne you have all of the Barry stuff that has been fantastic and as far as facing off with the baddies other than Savitar I gotta say I haven't really been all that interested in it um, the Magenta one, the, the Magenta episode was pretty cool. I, I thought there was a lot of cool emotion in there, both for Barry and the Flash. 
And I thought that the actress that played Magenta, she did a fantastic job with what she was given. But I, I just keep wondering, you know, if Barry, it's really more on Barry to re, to, you know, kind of repair this timeline, not by being the Flash and speeding back to the past and changing this or that, but just by being Barry and and reaching out to people. I think that's what's going to be important in terms of repairing all of this in the future. And I got to say, I've seen some responses from some of my friends that are really not digging Flash as much this season as they have in the past, uh, or at least after the first episode. They thought the first episode was fantastic, and then they thought, yeah, now it's going downhill. I don't agree. I think that if you feel that way, um, then you're making the show underrated. Underrated. And with that, why don't we go to uh, Arrow? Arrow. And and let me say this. Arrow is back, baby. I mean, even the flashbacks are back. I've loved the Bratva storyline so far. And I figure it's going to probably play a great deal in the long run of the present day, too. I think this is how we will finally see Oliver turn back to that darkness um, before he, you know, he returns to the island in order to get rescued. Um, I think he's going to come out of this Bratva storyline a whole different darkness than level than we've seen, except at the beginning of season one. Um, the parallels between the flashback and the, and the modern day eps, sometimes they hit a little bit over the head. Um, but even things like the bell training, I thought they were pretty masterfully woven together. Um, and again, that's just my opinion. So if you disagree, feel free to uh, contact me, save this city podcast at gmail.com, or you can tweet at save this city pod. I've also loved the villains in arrow this season. And the one thing that I don't like is that we didn't get enough time with some of them. I mean, I hate that uh, Tobias Church is gone already. I mean, that was just way too quick because that was a great character. I wanted to see more of that. And maybe he is small potatoes as compared to Prometheus, but uh, I still thought that he and that actor is fantastic, and uh, I just loved his dynamic. I thought that was great. And it was just a fist-pounding brute. That You know, that's the kind of character that Arrow uh, should be fighting, not these super villains and all this other stuff. Um, but that's the way that that goes. As far as Prometheus goes, uh, you know, for most of the season, I thought, well, maybe Prometheus is Malcolm Merlin. But as soon as Malcolm uh, or as soon as Prometheus needed uh, Oliver's identity from Tobias Church, then, of course, I had to strike that. So I'm at a loss as to who it is. And then you have this whole killing vigilante thing going on. Um, which uh, our buddy Donald, of course, he pointed out to me on uh, Twitter that uh, it seems like it's almost kind of the same storyline as the Guardian one last week where there was a killer following Guardian around and then just shooting people. Um, they, they've they left that this vigilante killer um, hanging. So uh, I suppose that that means that it's at least semi-important. It may get wrapped up by the mid-season finale. I'm not sure. And as far as the action goes, I mean, the sequences are fantastic. They're always fantastic on the show. But I've really enjoyed the character development. Like Quentin Lance, he is a freaking mess, that poor dude. I mean, if there is one reason he might go after the wa- off the wagon after, you know, maintaining for so long, 
I would think that essentially losing both of your daughters one to time and, and, and of course, Laurel dying, that would be the thing that could do it. Right. And now you have Thea helping him and, and she really hasn't had much else to do this season. I really miss her as speedy, but the whole dynamic with Lance has kind of kept me interested in her character and she's doing okay as the chief of staff for the mayor's office. Oh, true you know i trust her to be running oliver's affairs since he can never be there i mean there may have been a mistake or two but she's doing okay but it it just feels like her being so close to laurel makes her the great substitute daughter for quentin right and she's helping him get to rehab and everything but the problem is is that i'm almost starting to get a vibe that the show is setting it up to be more than that and I got lots of slack from Donald and Camille on Twitter when I made the prediction that Theo and Quentin are going to end up together uh, at some point, at least for a little while before the season is out. And yes, I know that's kind of gross, right? Uh, but it's going to happen, folks. You watch. It's going to happen. Send your hate mail to save the city podcast at gmail.com. Speaking of coupling, there's this whole felicity with the detective, yet she's still calling Oliver hot when he's doing the chin up thing, uh, bar climbing thing. Um, despite all of that, I, I do like the dynamic that they're at at this moment. I, I guess that I've loved everything Felicity's been in this year, to be perfectly honest. Uh, you know, I think that her scenes have been super, super fantastic. Um, Emily Betts is just doing great with all of this stuff. She's a great go between for Oliver and the new recruits and this dynamic with Ragman and the whole new Haven thing. Um, that's produced some really powerfully emotional moments for me. I have really enjoyed all of that. As far as the recruits go, I do love that Curtis has gotten a p- more prominent role in the show too, because Echo Kellum's just really doing a great job in that role. Um, even though I thought that he would probably eventually become a different superhero, um, than what it seems like they're making him into. Um, but all of the recruits are great. I, I love Wild Dog constantly challenging and, and, and learning from his the mistakes that he makes and um, his relationship with Diggle. And Evelyn now has become an interesting dynamic in the group, of course, because I, I didn't see that revelation about her coming at all. And, and Ragman, uh, like I mentioned, his dynamic with, with Felicity, and that's a cool it's a cool set of rags, right? Uh, so it, it, he's got a good group of recruits there together. And, and now he's finally got Diggle back. Um, man, Diggle just wanted to just throw it all away and just give up. And I'm so glad that he did. And I'm glad Oliver talked him uh, into coming with him when he broke him out. I'm glad Lila came to Oliver to ask him to break him out because I, I don't think Diggle was has been in the right spot. And he, he's still edgy, of course, because now he's a man on the lamb. Um, but, uh, you know, he doesn't have anywhere else really to be. And at least he can be with people that love him, um, now that he's out, even if he can't be anywhere in kind of publicly in the outside world. Um, so Oliver did some good there. And as far as Oliver goes, I mean, man, that dude must be pounding down some energy drinks or something, right? Cause does he ever sleep? It seems like he's up all night fighting criminals. And then he goes into the mayor's office, um, as far as the flashbacks, I do love the Bratva storyline this whole season. Him, I, I, As far as the reason why he went to Russia in the first place, because of that girl on the island wanted him to kill somebody, that seemed a little lame. But now that we've met that guy, um, he, you know, it seems like he does need to be killed. So, I'm, I, you know, that's kind of paid off in a way. 
but the the the, the whole Broadfest storyline is just fantastic. Uh, I sometimes like that stuff better than the scenes that Oliver is in in present day. And it's fun to see him not being so good at marrying. I mean, I think that that's pretty realistic. And and for Thea, for the most part, to kind of have to have his back on that end. And the dynamic with the, the new group of recruits, I think his reasoning for not accepting them or, or wanting to care for them, uh, uh, wanting to care about them, I think that that probably was one of the great scenes with him and Felicity and, and him and Diggle. Uh, and, and as far as the training stuff, I loved all of the references uh, to when he was training Barry. I thought that was great. And overall, I just really feel like this season is, is far superior to, the, to a couple of seasons that we've had uh, in the recent past. Um, you know, I, I'm much more excited about Arrow than I have been about the other hero shows this year. So I'm, I'm really liking it. And if, if you don't like it, then I have to say that you're per- currently underrating the show. Underrated. And if you are liking it as much as I am, then I think that you've properly rated the show. Properly rated. Let's move on to Legends of Tomorrow. Legends of Tomorrow. And the first big surprise for me was having Rip in only the first episode of what we've seen so far anyway. But I do like that this kind of ultimately led to Sarah being the captain. The only problem that I kind of have with that is that you have the exact same scenario with the leadership. Last year, we had Rip leading a team to personal revenge against Vandal Savage. And this year, it's it's Sarah leading the team. And while she's not purposefully making the team pursue Damien Dark, um, she's still very much on a revenge kick of her own. So that just seems a little too similar. Um, but maybe that's supposed to be some kind of show trope that we're going to be getting into. Uh, I hope that doesn't mean that Sarah's going to be leaving us anytime soon, though. As I admitted, you know, last year, all of these time travel stories and everything, the effects, the causes, all of that, it just confuses the crap out of me. So whatever happens, I've kind of just resigned myself this year to accept what they tell me. I mean, if Martin is getting an image of another girl, then we probably just should wait and see what that means uh, when we get there rather than wondering why he loves this girl, but his ring with Claire hasn't disappeared. Although I do have a thought regarding this girl's vision that he's had. Could she be possibly a daughter that he didn't have before he met his younger self again in the White House? I mean, could urging his younger self this time around in the 80s to pay more attention to their wife, I mean, could that have resulted in them having a daughter? And that's why he doesn't know this girl, but he loves her. Uh, And he's still with Claire, but they now have a girl. Otherwise, I I guess all all of the Martin stuff has been pretty good. His fear of zombies, uh, that was hilarious. And, And the struggle with leading the team, that was cool. But then you have this message that him and Jax found from Barry uh, in that compartment 36. And that has me wondering if if that message is about, you know, the effects years later after this upcoming crossover or if that it's something else entirely. If it's a seasonal arc thing, then, of course, it's something else entirely. But I just was wondering if it was, in fact, connected to perhaps these uh, crossovers and we'll get the resolution to that. Um, on the Thursday episode of the crossovers. But uh, anyway, back to that uh, Jax. Let's talk about him because he has been a real standout for me this year. That Civil War episode 
was amazingly emotional for me. And all of the actors that were in that scene where they were chained up together, they were just so super fantastic. And I love the fact that the show continues to bring social issues to the forefront. And, and they really give us a glimpse of how ridiculous we as a human race are capable of being sometimes ridiculously evil, ridiculously naive. Um, I love that they uh, hit us over the head with that. It's okay for them to hit us over the head with that. That's what a comic show is for. Um, on top of that, you know, Jax is really now, he knows this ship backwards and forwards. He's become the true engineer of the ship. He's become the Scotty. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, that, that it's great that he, he knows all of that. And, and uh, the stuff with him and Martin combining and, and the way that they feel each other and all that, that's all been fantastic as well. Now, poor Ray, you know, the Boy Scout. I mean, I thought that, speaking of being a hero, uh, him sacrificing the suit, realizing he was going to have to sacrifice the suit in order to save history, that was extremely heroic. And I know that the other characters tried to point that out to him too, but I was really moved by that. Uh, I do hate that he doesn't have a new suit yet, but with all that dwarf star ally that they got out of the West, uh, which, by the way, you know, Hex, I love I love that guy. That 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 was a good episode, the the western episode. Um but with all of this dwarf star ally that they got, maybe he can make another one. I mean, I think I think he even mentioned something about the fact that he could probably make 20 or something like that. But we'll uh we'll see um, how quickly he gets one put back together. Um uh, but he did fantastic in the Shogun app helping Steel learn his powers and um the western apps was fantastic as well. So I I Love Ray. Um, sometimes he gets put off on the side. Sometimes he doesn't uh, get to interact as well. And, and his powers, his stuff with Mick, with the gun, all of that stuff was great. I'm going to talk more about Mick in a second. Um, as for Sarah herself, like I mentioned before, you know, she's now the captain. And for the most part, I feel like that Sarah has made some great calls. Um, I hope that she can keep herself from trying to take out Dark every time she sees him, though, because... Um, it, you know, that might be an urge that you just can't resist despite the ripple effects that Martin warned her of. And I, I can't wait to see, you know, she's very good at barking out orders. Um, she settled into the role very quickly. And, and like I said, I, for the most part, as far as tactical stuff, she, I think she's made some fantastic decisions. Um, and we also, you know, because Hawkman and Hawkgirl, they left, we got a couple of new peeps to take their place. And I really liked um, the Justice Society of America storyline. I thought that that was great. The JSA storyline was fantastic. And now we have one member from that team and we have someone who is a descendant from one member of that team uh, along for the ride. And Donald had to remind me um, how that amulet uh, was passed down from generation to generation um, because I was looking at the whole Vixen thing and thinking, how can she be in 1942 and in present day? Turns out the amulet is the power, and this girl is, I guess, her grandmother, the present-day Vixen's grandmother, which is fine. I mean, I, you could tell it was a different actress, but I didn't know what, you know, sometimes you just can't get the same actress for something if they were going to make a regular thing out of it, and I just thought it might be this supposed to be the same character. But the one thing is that I did watch the first season of Vixen on the CWC, the, the animated thing, and I was under the impression that the amulet had stayed in the village the whole time up until current day Vixen had it. Um, evidently, that is not true. 
her grandmother had taken it away from the village. And I guess at some point she returned it to the village for uh, current Dave Vixen's mother to have. Um, but, and that all seems logical enough, I guess. I, I, I don't know if there's a season two of Vixen on the CWC yet. I need to check that because that information might be there in, in that, um, in that animated series. If, if they've come out with a new season, I just haven't had time to check up with it yet. And as for the other person coming in steel, Nate, um, his part of the story has been pretty good, I guess, you know, piecing together the little bits of history. Uh, I love that he's kind of a nerd, but he also wants to be the superhero instead of the nerd. Uh, the only problem with that I have with that is that it actually seems very similar to Ray in that way. But of course the difference is, is that Steele did get his powers and Ray got a cold gun. Um, but it, at least we know that Steele isn't totally indestructible because at first I was kind of like, I was kind of like, oh man, you know, he's going to just, you know, nothing's going to ever be able to kill him. Um, but Dwarf Star Ally evidently can pierce his uh, steel skin or whatever it is. So uh, at least there is some peril for steel. Although you would think that Dwarf Star Ally is pretty rare. Um, so you would think it wouldn't come up too often. Maybe there's other things that can penetrate his armor as well. But uh, I mentioned Ray ended up with a coal gun. That, that kind of leads me to Mick. Uh, and Mick have, has just stolen the show. Roy is amazing. Uh, I really loved it when he gave Ray the gun and, and the way he's so protective of it. Um, and, and it was cool to see uh, past Captain Cold episode, by the way. I didn't mention that during the Flash part of the review. But having Wentworth Miller back, that was good to see him. Um, I know that some people aren't a big fan of his, but I certainly was. And so that was cool. Uh, anyway, back to legends and, and to Mick, his developing friendship with Vixen and his continued friendship with Ray. I, I mean, that's made for some great moments. Um, and, I, and then you have just the natural Rory stuff where he just goes all crazy. Um, and there's other stuff where he just plays dumb or, or he has the, the funny one liner or whatever. Um, all of the Mick stuff has been great. He, you know, I can't ever wait long enough to see Mick uh, back on screen. And I guess overall, as far as the plot, I mentioned earlier, you know, that I think that this Thawne that we're seeing in Legends was the one that Barry brought back from Flashpoint. Now he's just going around um, trying something different to get around whatever uh, has happened to him. But he, he'd still have to be a time remnant, right? So I guess a time remnant's job is never done. Um, but when you team him up with Damien Dark, I mean, I think that that's a great, formidable pair. Um, and I, I want to see how, if and how. I guess they'll probably not take care of Dark, but they do have to find some way to take care of, of Thawne. That may end up with some kind of Flash um, Legends crossover later on in the season. That would be kind of cool. Um, but this duo uh, is going to be really tough to overcome and I, i'm kind of interested in what they want to do with all of these amulets and all of these um you know archaeological pieces I, I can't understand exactly what they're trying to do so that should be fun to watch unfold as we go along and i've heard a lot of people saying that you know they feel like that uh 
this show is really doing well this season. Our friend Camille really likes it, and I agree, so I feel like any kind of viewpoints like that have made this show properly rated. Properly rated. And I guess that's it for this particular podcast. Thanks so much for listening. We're going to watch the crossovers. Donald, Camille, and I are going to try and find some time with which to record our thoughts about them, and then we'll get those out. And then I'm still doing road stuff, guys. I can't do week to week. I'll just try to do them when I can and catch everything up. I really appreciate your time. Again, uh, you'll be getting the contact links here in just a moment. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon. Bye. Find all back episodes and all contact links at savethiscitypodcast.wordpress.com. If you have feedback, you can leave a voicemail by calling 314-669-1840 or send email to savethiscitypodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at savethiscitypod. Please leave the podcast a written review on whatever app that you use. 